Um, I probably can't start um, talking about credit until I have uh, give you a little bit of background to exactly uh, how this year is, uh, has uh, basically opened up. I think coming out of 2016, um, there was extreme uh, amount of optimism built up specifically behind uh, the results of the U.S. election. And it wasn't so much uh, the president or the administration, it was the fact that there was a lot of discussion about a big infrastructure spending, uh, ambitious tax cuts, and uh, a lot of regulatory reform, which was very, very bullish for the market. So consequently, we had uh, all of a sudden we had uh, a buildup in inflation expectations and a significant uh, move up in interest rates uh, that we haven't seen in a long time. So the market um, was um, fair to say the market uh, had a, uh, an immense degree of optimism with respect to what they think, how they thought the world was going to unfold. If we look at the first quarter of 2017, a few interesting things have happened. Um, one of the most interesting things is that there was an expectation that the election in France could potentially leave, lead to a, uh, a very leftist party and uh, discussions about um, an exit from the Eurozone, uh, very similar to what we're seeing in, in the UK right now. That didn't happen, um, and, but what did happen is that a lot of the, uh, a lot of the um, um, ambition in, in uh, a lot of Trump's policies actually uh, haven't happened at the timeline that everybody expected. So more specifically, you know, we were of the opinion, or everybody was of the opinion, that we would get uh, tax cuts probably by mid-year. Uh, as well as uh, probably some shovels hit the ground by the end of 2017 on this big ambitious um, um, infrastructure spend. The problem with uh, that is that uh, uh, Trump has bumped into a lot of uh, political obstacles and there's been a big delay in the process and what we found is infrastructure, a lot of this infrastructure spending probably won't happen until next year and it looks like the tax cuts at the rate they're going won't even happen until later on this year. So when everybody thought that we were going to get something like 3% GDP in the U.S., it probably looks like we're going to get something like closer to 2%. And interestingly enough, the, the first quarter was very, very dismal. You can't blame it on Trump. Uh, weather was a big factor, but GDP in the U.S. first quarter ended up being 0.7, which was well below expectations, considering the expectations for 3%. So when you put it all together, what it means is that Sure, uh, the economy for the first part of the year has grown very slowly in the U.S., but that's, a lot of that to do is uh, with weather. And typically, I mean, this is statistically proven that uh, first quarter uh, GDP growth in the U.S. Is typically, the, is typically the weakest. Now, on the other side of this, what we have is that now we have uh, a, more stable, um, a more stable government in France. Um, we have the uh, potential... Uh, of probably a, a fairly neutral party being elected in Germany in September. So all the concern about uh, political volatility in Europe is starting to dissipate. And what we're seeing in Europe is that growth is starting to pick up. So growth in Europe is a lot better than people expected. And inflation is actually starting to increase, increase in Europe. So if we look at the two sides of it, we have the United States is sort of plodding along and the situation in Europe is, is getting better. But I think from an interest rate perspective, one of the most important things that you have to look at right now is that the fact that tax cuts, infrastructure spending, the same type of thing that the Trudeau government is talking about in Canada, costs money. 
And if the economy isn't growing significantly uh, at a higher rate, which it isn't yet, you grow deficits, and deficits require more bonds to be sold. So first part of it, between Europe, between the United States, and be between Canada, we're going to get a lot more issuance of government securities to fund all this infrastructure and in the U.S. fund these tax cuts. The other thing is that because economies now are making a move from, uh, fis from monetary policy into fiscal policy, what you're going to see now is way less governments buying bonds now. So in the United States, probably this June, they'll start talking about unwinding their balance sheet. So basically the, 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 um, the Fed has bought $5 trillion worth of securities over the last eight years. They're going to run that balance sheet down to approximately 50% of what that is right now, so about down to about $2.5 trillion. So they're going to have to sell over the next five years $2.5 trillion worth of bonds. They have been the biggest single buyer. In Europe, because uh, the economy is starting to grow at a much better rate and inflation is starting to show up, the same thing is going to happen there. You're going to have the ECB probably talking later on this, this year, potentially even as close as the summer, about potentially tapering their bond purchases and not being a buyer of bonds anymore. So a couple of things. When you put it all together, you're going to have the potential globally for higher deficits, you're going to have more bond issuance, and you're going to have central banks buying more bonds. So base case, the way I look at it is, to me, there's no way within that scenario that interest rates can't go up. I mean, interest rates for the last, literally the last years have been a, uh, have been a rigged game. Uh, they've been controlled by governments. And that whole process, that whole control of the interest rate environment is going away. So what does that mean with respect to, uh, you know, the movements of rates in general? Well, the other side of the, other side of the coin is, is that even though the world is improving, the other issue is, is that because the population is, is aging globally and because we've had the advent of technology, we're generating much less inflation and we're growing at a lower rate than we historically would. So although I think interest rates are going higher, it, I'm hard-pressed to believe that they're going really high. So my prediction for interest rates this year is I, my expectation would be that 10-year U.S. Uh, interest rates would probably be somewhere around 3%. And in Canada, they would probably be somewhere around two and a quarter. So with that, to me, that is the biggest single, that is the biggest single risk to any portfolio that has interest rate sensitivity. So if we, think about, if we think about how we need to construct a portfolio or we think about how we need to be in defensive in this environment, we need to have a portfolio that has less, obviously less sensitivity to interest rates and less sensitivity uh, to uh, rising inflation. So what I'd like to talk about is first credit. So to me, in an environment where interest rates are potentially going up, you want to get more income per unit of duration. And I think credit right now is probably one of the best places to be in fixed income for the simple reason that credit gives you way, way more coupon than you get out of a government bond. So where we can buy investment grade uh, corporate bonds that have a yield uh, that is three, four, five times what you get out of a government bond, or even if you go to high yield, which yields as much as 10 to 15 times as much as a government bond, to me that's a better place to be. The other reason I think credit is a good place to be 
is if we believe the global economy is starting to grow, that's good for the stock market, that's good for the economy, and typically what happens when you get the economy doing better, the stock market rally, that's a very, very supportive environment for credit. And why that is, is that when the economy is doing better, what we're basically saying is we, we've moved the business cycle, we've moved the default uh, cycle, we've pushed it out further. So if we go back a year, uh, most economists were probably thinking that um, we would potentially be in the start of a recession sometime in, two seven, two, sometime in, two seven, in 2017. Currently, the outlook for a recession now has been pushed further out into 2018. So with that, what we've seen is a much, much lower default rate. So the chances of corporate corporations defaulting uh, was as high as 5% last year. It's now as low as 3%. So when you look at credit, it's a more supportive environment because you have less chance of losing money when you buy a corporate bond. So when you buy a corporate bond, you get way, way more uh, interest than you do on a government bond and you have less chance of, less chance of, of uh, losing money. So I lost, I'd like to quickly talk about um, a lot of the uh, bond funds and ETFs that have been constructed over the last little while. So because we've been in an environment where interest rates have literally gone in one direction for the last eight years, the average coupon on most government bonds has gotten really, really low. So if we look at, go back eight years, the coupon level on a, on a five-year government bond probably was somewhere around 3.5%. Nowadays, the coupon on a five-year uh, government bond is something like three-quarters of a basis point. So you're not really getting paid a lot to own a five-year government bond. Now, if we, if we, look, at a, if we look at a universe, uh, an ETF, or a mutual fund that's built on a bond uh, universe, what you're getting is somewhere around 65 to 70% of governments. So you have an immense concentration of, uh, of low coupon um, government bonds. In addition to that, you have a lot of duration because these funds just represent uh, the universe of bonds. And what's happened over the last eight years, because interest rates have gone so low, is that companies and governments have issued longer and longer debt. And because universes, uh, these universal bond index replicate that, these indexes get, have gotten longer and longer. So what you're getting now is indexes that have, uh, or bond funds and ETFs that have uh, income that is less than 2% and durations of somewhere around eight, uh, eight years in some cases. So what that means from a break-even perspective is that if interest rates move 20 to 25 basis points in these funds, you start losing money. So a bad mix is not enough income and too much duration, and unfortunately that's endemic to, to most mutual funds that are based on fixed income universes or ETFs. The other thing which is important to look at is that some of the funds are, are constructed in what they would say a corporate universe. So rather than having government bonds, they, have, they, they basically replicate the whole corporate universe. Now this is good and it's bad. It's good because you get a lot of diversity. It's bad because you get too much concentration to the biggest issuers. Now a good example of this right now would be, is, would be banks and finance companies. So banks represent about 30% of the corporate index. If you put financials in with that, that replicates about 
So you get 40% banks uh, and finance companies. Now, last week, Moody's downgraded the banks because, uh, lo and behold, uh, they came to the realization that they own too much real estate. That's a really, really big theme nowadays is the, uh, is the level of, uh, of house prices in Canada, the, uh, the trajectory of how quickly housing prices have grown. So anybody with a big exposure to mortgages or the real estate market is, become, uh, is much more under scrutiny. So if we look at these indexes right now, and if you think 30% Canadian banks, 40% insti uh, uh, financial institutions, a lot of which are engaged in the practice of mortgage lending, that to me is a problem. Because if we ever have a, uh, if we ever have a problem in the real estate market, those indexes are really, really going to suffer. So to me, an important thing is not only to be mindful of the amount of uh, duration you're taking and a fund amount of income, the other thing you have to be mindful of is how much, how much concentration that you're getting in a fund. So why are we different? Our, our bond fund is not, uh, is not universal-based. So we buy credit on the basis of where is the best opportunity. So if we don't like real estate or we're worried about financials, we, we basically avoid them. We look to find the best opportunity within uh, the sectors that are available to us, and within the sectors, we look for the best companies. So we run a more concentrated portfolio that we think reflects the environment. So we have the flexibility to be either defensive in the way we pick our sectors, or we have the ability to be opportunistic in the way we pick our, pick our sectors, or we can just be neutral. The other thing uh, that we have the flex, flex, flexibility to adjust is the duration of our portfolio. So if we think interest rates are going up, we can see to it that our portfolio has less duration. If we think interest rates are uh, um, actually going down, we can look to have more duration. The duration of our portfolio right now is about two years, two years, and it's been two years of duration for the last eight years. So we get very, very little of our income or return from duration. Everything we get is from uh, the return on uh, on the securities that we uh, that we select. Lastly, we don't own any government bonds, and the simple reason that we don't own any government bonds is uh, is that they is that they don't yield anything. So we're very, very different than the typical bond fund because we have uh, the flexibility to adjust our parameters and because we don't use a lot of duration. So from a portfolio uh, positioning perspective and being mindful of the fact that I think the biggest risk to any fixed income strategy right now is higher uh, interest rates, the first thing I like is I like having cash. And we've been running this year uh, with a fairly high cash position. It's been as high as 35%. It's probably somewhere around 29% right now. And that's primarily because I believe that as interest rates rise this year, and it's going to happen at some point, we're going to get a lot more volatility in a lot of, the, uh, in a lot of fixed income securities. And I think we're going to get selling. And with that selling, I think we're going to see some really, really good opportunities to buy some credit at some really, really good uh, prices. The other thing that I do is um, I like investment grade, but I think investment grade credit has the single bi biggest risk of higher interest rates. So anytime I buy investment grade credit, 
that has a uh, term or duration longer than four years, I hedge out the interest rate risk. So I don't take any interest rate risk in any securities that are, that are longer uh, than four years. And the other thing uh, in our portfolio, we have the ability to alter the type of securities that we hold. So right now, I own, I'm allowed uh, within the uh, portfolio parameters um, uh, of my uh, strategy, I'm allowed to own high yield, I'm allowed to own investment grade, I'm allowed to own uh, equity-like securities, preferreds, I'm at, and I'm allowed to own loans. So the thing that I like most right now is number one, I like investment grade credit that, as I said, that has the interest rate uh, risk hedged out of it. The first thing, obviously, I like is cash. The other thing I like is secure loans. And the reason I like secure loans is that secured loans is because you get way more coupon than you get at a high, out of a high-yield bond, sometimes as much as 10%. And you get a floating rate security that has no interest, little interest rate sensitivity. It moves when rates move higher. It provides a higher yield. And it's secured by a specific asset. So if that company was ever to get in trouble, that loan is secured by the assets. So whether it's a mine or whether it's equipment or whether it's some product knowledge, you're actually secured by something within that company. So it has very, very good risk-reward parameters. The last thing that I like um, is preferred shares. And I would say that, that with what's happened to the new preferreds, which have uh, much nicer resets, higher resets, and they have floors, they're a much better investment than they were two or three years ago. The thing that I like the least right now is high yield, and that's one thing that we've been reducing our exposure to, primarily just because High yield has had an unbelievable run. If we go back to last January or February in 2016, high yield, uh, in some cases in the energy and commodity sector, yielded as much as 20%. Nowadays, those same companies are trading somewhere between 5 and 6%. So they almost yield a quarter of what they did a year ago. So it's gotten really expensive. Now, that was a distressed time. It doesn't mean I think they're getting back to that level. I don't think they'll get back to that level for a long time. But I also think that there's probably a chance for a little bit of a correction in that market, and that's what I'm waiting for. So high yield is, is my least fa favorite security, and I've basically been taking the exposure to that down. So from a sector perspective, I don't own any Canadian banks for the simple reason uh, that I talked about earlier. It's not that I think the real estate market in Canada is going to crumble anytime soon. I think the banks are in Canada are in good shape, and I think the real estate market is potentially a little vulnerable. I don't see a I don't see a uh, I don't see an end of the world scenario, but I do think it's fairly vulnerable. And with that, there'll be a little bit of volatility in bank bonds and bank stocks, and I think that will provide a better opportunity to buy them. So right now, I don't own any Canadian banks. And as I said, that would be, that's very, very different from what you get out of an index fund. They'd, an index credit fund would own 30% of Canadian banks. So again, we don't own them. For financials, what I really like is U.S. financials. So I've been picking away at some of the bigger U.S. banks uh, that issue in Canada, uh, issue Maple Securities in Canada. I like them because they yield a lot more than the Canadian banks, and they have very, very good uh, businesses that have been extremely de-risked, and they have very little exposure to real estate. So for me, that's uh, that's a good place. That's a good place to be. 
The other thing that I like is I like uh, telcos. I think that, uh, I mean, when's the last time that you saw your Rogers bill go down or your TELUS bill go down? So uh, I like telcos. I like energy infrastructure pipelines because they're basically a provider of a service. I like insurance companies because I think a higher interest rate environment is going to be very supportive for their businesses. And I like oil and gas just because, you know, the expectation for oil is that it's supposed to go higher. Uh, at some point, it will go higher, so I'm patiently waiting. But uh, I think uh, oil, gas, and some commodity uh, companies uh, are very good investments right now. So with that, uh, my, pro my projections are that our credit fund should return somewhere between 6 and 7% this year. And that's sort of in line with our, our historic compound annual return. And the way I come up with that, the way I come up with that number is we're somewhere after the first quarter, just just uh, a little bit better than uh, after the first quarter, we're somewhere better than just about two and a quarter. So if I annualize that after fees, it comes to out to about six percent. If we get a little bit of a, of a correction in the market, as I said, I have a lot of cash to put to work, so I can potentially drive a lot more yield into the portfolio. So currently, our portfolio yields just over four percent with two years of duration. And the way to look at that, um, using the same metric I talked about early, earlier, with 4% uh, income in two years of duration, basically it would require uh, interest rates to move somewhere around 2% where you, where, before you'd lose any money in my portfolio. Looking at an index, you lose money after interest rates move 25 basis points. So, so there's a substantially uh, bigger buffer in, in my fixed income product than there is in a typical ETF or bond fund. So our track record, uh, last year we returned uh, nine and a quarter percent. It was an excellent year for, uh, for credit. It was a little bit uh, beyond most of our expectations considering how the year ended up, but uh, we were nine and a quarter last year. Our one year number is 12.37. Uh, and we've compounded since inception at around six and a quarter which is right in the realm of what I talk to. I try to deliver uh, somewhere between 6 and 8% uh, with much less volatility. And just to put the volatility in perspective, um, the standard deviation of my fund is about 3.88. That's very close to uh, the, um, the universe, and it's very close to the volatility on the corporate uh, index. Where I really, really uh, outshine them is my sharp ratio is about 1.42. It's double what the index is, and it's much better than, than the all-corporate index of 1.17. So again, you get higher income with less volatility in my fund. That's great. I'm wondering if we need slides. I don't think we need slides. I'm wondering about using it as well, a Well, the only...